0: Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Krishnendu Mayunda, co-founder of UK Independent Producer, Me and You Productions, and the recently appointed chair of BAFTA, about this year's television awards, taking place online for the first time tomorrow as a result of the ongoing pandemic. And Jane Root. Founder and chief executive of transatlantic factual specialist Newtopia discusses new HBO Max series A World of Calm based on the popular Relaxation app plus continuing production on other high-profile shows despite international travel restrictions. In June this year, Mia Productions co-founder Krishnendu Majunda became the new chair of the British Academy of Film and Television Arts, the first person of colour to be appointed to the role in the organisation's 73-year history, immediately highlighting, in his words, the need for it to become not just non-racist but an anti-racist institution. The coronavirus-delayed 2020 BAFTA Television Awards takes place tomorrow night and Majunda spoke with Michael Pickard ahead of the event about how the Academy is working to improve diversity and inclusion in the industry and also mitigate the impact of the pandemic upon it. He also talked about the start of production next week on the second season of Me and News' female-led Channel Four anthology series *I Am*, from writer-director Dominic Savage, a drama uniquely penned and produced alongside each episode's leading actress.
1: You know, you, you've only been in the role, I guess, a month or so. What's it? What's yes. it been like for you, sort of stepping into the, the chairman role and then, and then having these sort of delayed, um, socially distant award ceremonies to, to sort of chaperone?
2: I, I was originally chair of the TV committee for four years, so. I know the TV awards probably better than the other award ceremonies just because I was intimately involved. So I I feel quite comfortable um, talking about them and really, really encouraged by the nominations uh, in in the TV awards this year, particularly uh, the amount of diversity uh, and also um, the amount of first time nominees. You know, there's a huge number of them. So. Yeah, I, I was I was really encouraged. Obviously, there's always more to do, um, but it, it seems like an exciting time, and I think we're reflecting society more in the work we're re- we're rewarding, and also the work that is being made to be rewarded. So I'm just really excited to be in the role. I know it's an extraordinary time in the middle of a pandemic, and also the huge wave of anti-racist protests sparked off by the murder of George Floyd, you know, the world's changing. So I think it's in a way it's it's an it's an opportune time to to take over and take a fresh look at everything.
1: Can you talk a bit about I guess in terms of diversity and inclusion just following on then from your point. I mean, can you talk about where we are as an industry and maybe some of the reasons why you think we haven't seen as much growth in those areas as as obviously the industry says it it would like, and and seen that on screen as well.
2: It's not just one lever that can solve diversity. It's everything from the people who have the opportunity to work, be writers, be creators, to the people being commissioned, to the work that's being made, to, to what's being cast. You know, it's a really complex ecosystem. Even before it gets entered into... The awards, we're almost at the back end of the process. It's a really complex ecosystem and we're one part of it. You know, the broadcasters, commissioners, production companies, everyone has a role to play in this. Uh, and we've seen that in the past, it's not been a level playing field. So when it comes to f- things like awards, it, it's a really complex thing. It's like who's voting for them, who's, who are the members, who, who, who are on the juries. But also it's like what's being made. What's being campaigned? What's being pushed? Where's the money behind things to have screenings? You know, so it's really complex. What are journalists writing about? You know, there's a huge amount of factors at play. And what's been really interesting is talking to those different people, including journalists and commissioners not just actors, writers, producers, directors, and talking to people from underrepresented groups. We've talked to lots of actors of colour, producers, writers, directors of colour. We've talked to female directors. We've talked to people who come from less wealthy backgrounds. We've talked to disabled filmmakers. And and that, I found, the kind of... A huge amount of work needs to be done on on a scale that disabled community the spotlight really isn't on them. If you just look at what's on TV, um, what's being made and the opportunities that disabled actors and, and, and filmmakers have are so few and far between. I just think our industry really needs to take a hard look. So although BAFTA can only reward what's in front of them, we're really taking a root and branch look at how we do it, who's voting, the membership is going to be a real refresh in terms of the membership, in terms of trying to make it younger and more diverse, but also look at the process, the rules, you know, are there any barriers to diversity? But again, it's like, what is the work that's being made and put forward? And that is a really, really key thing. And, and, the, and the, the performances that are allowed to shine uh, and the stories that, that people are allowed to tell and we're encouraging, and I'm I'm really keen to get into a dialogue with studios, broadcasters, to talk about all these issues and encourage greater diversity in in terms of the opportunities people are com- given for the stories they tell. I mean, when I was growing up, there was hardly anyone who looked like me on on TV. So it's it's really difficult. It's so imp- important to have role models, but at the same time. People from diverse communities have got to be allowed to tell whatever stories they want, not just pigeonholed or ghettoised. And I I think that's that's something that we should be wary of in terms of sometimes black, Asian or other people from underrepresented groups almost have to speak for their group. And it's like we can tell any stories. (laughs) And I just think the industry really needs to have a real step change now. And I think there is, the winds of change are, are coming. The BAFTA BFI diversity standards, I think, are, are brilliant. It's a hard intervention. Last year in the TV awards, it was a pilot scheme. Obviously, we've done it in the film wards for a couple of years in a few categories, the British categories. So you have to hit two of the four categories of whether it's on-screen diversity, behind-screen diversity, or the subject matter you're, you're telling. And just for instance, the production I'm doing, we've had to look at the, the surveys and and just double check we've got enough diversity and that includes people from a less wealthy background disabled people and not just people of color and gender so it's like making producers think it's making people oh we won't be (laughs) allowed to enter the BAFTAs so it's really driving you to hire differently because I know what it's like in production you're getting close to production and you have to hire a team and and you kind of immediately reach for the people you know that you're comfortable with. And that's what, you know, in the past has caused the, the, the lack of diversity. It's like a, a, a little circle that's really hard to break. So by BAFTA doing this, it, it is a huge incentive. And I know lots of producers are changing the makeup of their crews. And I know in the, in the film industry, we've been doing it for a few years with British film and a few of the categories, and, and we're widening it out in film. It's made a real difference. So last year it was a pilot study in the TV Awards. And this year for 2021's Awards, you have to do it. Otherwise you can't enter. But the myth, the kind of fallacy we need to kind of dispel is, oh, what happens if I make something like Downton Abbey? Oh, well, will, you know, that some newspapers were running, Downton Abbey will be banned from the BAFTAs. And it's like, no, it won't. If you have a diverse crew, there are other things that you can tell it doesn't all have to be on screen, not whatsoever. So I think things like that, and the year-round schemes we do are some of the best kind of new talent schemes around. And what we're doing, and I think this is the genius of BAFTA, is is linking new talent with world-class established talent, and kind of nurturing and giving them exposure to excellence, and you know inspiring them. People who've been on new talent initiatives in the past. So Callum Turner, who's up for, I think, lead actor. He was a breakthrough Brit in 2014. Jack Thorne was a breakthrough in 2011, and he's won five BAFTAs So Josh O'Connor was a breakthrough in 2017, and he's up for um, supporting actor for The Crown this year. Charlie Cavell was nominated uh, this year in writer for End of the Effing World, and, and she was a breakthrough Brit in 2015. And Laurie Nunn, from sex ed she was breakthrough last year so I I think we're really good at identifying talent and then giving them experience and exposure and contact Uh, you know uh, as I said I think that's the genius of BAFTA and I think it's the spotlight we can shine on people that's really bright can be a really positive thing and I think that's some of the work that I'm most proud of and that's kind of why I'm involved and I've been involved for 15 years and I think we can genuinely make a difference in the industry and also therefore society. You know, we need to be unequivocally actively anti-racist. It's like in the past, we've been a charity, we're apolitical, but on on certain issues like bullying and harassment, we made a stand a few years ago. And I was really pleased. I was on the board of BAFTA. And in the past, we would have, oh, let's not get involved. Let's... Let's just say nothing. You know, we're a charity. We do awards. We've got charity rules. We have to be apolitical. But no, we made a stand and said bullying and harassment is wrong. And we worked with BFI about the codes. and, And we made an intervention in the industry. And I think we're doing the same with diversity and inclusion. And I think we're a place that where we can all come together in the industry. It's not like, oh, the BBC are leading on something, Channel 4, or the BFI. It's like, I think we can draw people together and i think over the next three years i'm really hopeful that we'll make a, you know a massive difference and obviously our biggest shop window is the uh, is the awards you know and that's almost you know a temperature check of of where we're at as an industry and if you look at this year's awards 36 percent of the performance nominees were people of color in the tv awards which i think is a to check these numbers is 22% rise from last year from 2019 I'm really really pleased about that that feels like we're rewarding and reflecting society and I think you know that's that's really important because you know people will look up to this you know what what are the awards for it's it's peer-to-peer review of the best people in the industry saying this is the best work. This is the best stuff. This is what you need to look up to this year. And that list is a marker. And also it values people and work. So if if certain sections of society, say for instance, actors of colour are excluded, their value is not increased. They're not given more opportunities. The same with female directors. If people are not rewarded consistently, they will not progress. So I think the key thing for me is making sure we have a level playing field to judge work from. And then, you know, the work should speak for itself.
1: And and, and I guess the other thing that's kept you occupied in the last six weeks has been sort of the, the response to COVID and, and helping the industry kind of get back on its feet. Can you just tell us a bit about, you know, the situation from your point of view, I guess, as a producer, but also in your role at BAFTA and... and some of the things that BAFTA is doing to help the industry sort of get back up and, and running again?
2: Firstly, as a producer, and this is not with my BAFTA hat on, it, it's tough as an independent producer because we, Me and you, Productions, is wholly independent. We are not backed or owned by anyone. It's just myself and Richard Yee who own it, and we're not rich. <laughs> so, you know, we live off productions, and luckily for the last... Eight years, we were always in production, so it's fine. And then COVID happened, and it's like, hang on, like we were meant to start I am ages ago, and we were meant to do a feature documentary as well, you know, which had funding, and so we couldn't do those things. So it was suddenly trickier. I mean, we've had lots of offers for backing, but it's it's really tricky to survive, really, if. if that you don't have any income, and you're, you know, we've got overheads, we've got a team, we've got an office, we're still doing lots of development, we're optioning books and and scripts, and putting a lot of work in, and then you're waiting for broadcasters to make decisions. And obviously, lots of broadcasters are tightening their belts with the advertising market, you know, slimming and contracting, and also work being pushed to next year. So then they go, well, you know, we're looking for stuff for 2022, particularly in scripted, is which is what we do. So it, it is a really tough, uncertain time for producers, but I think people are finding their way. Channel 4 have been incredible in that they are supporting us in terms of, I think we're the first drama production to go on Channel 4, so it happens next week. But there's so much uncertainty with COVID in terms of people who are isolating. We've got very strict protocols, you know, and there's a you know strict testing regime. But, you know, if one of the key people get COVID, who, who are the lead actors? You won't be able to replace them, and and it's, it's you know it, it will cause a shutdown. So it is tricky this whole thing, and I think it's the uncertainty. I mean, can you on. talk a
1: bit about um, just the, the protocols you have got in place? Because from if I remember rightly, from season one of I Am that it was largely a location shoot.
2: Yeah, we've we've got strict Channel Four. We've had to agree them with Channel Four. health and safety experts, plus also First Option. They're doing a lot of being health and safety advisors for a lot of production companies at the moment. And there are other, obviously, other brands, other uh, health and safety advisors as well, but First Option are great. So we've had to approve protocols for testing, for distancing, for who's in the inner bubble. And if you are in the inner bubble on set, it's like you have to be tested for two weeks and then regularly tested within from then on, from two weeks out. And the last week you have to isolate. And from that bubble, you have to travel in and then you're bubbling on the set. So it's almost like we've done a planetary system of the people closest to the sun and then the ring outside and then the ring outside that. And if someone has to come in, they'll be wearing a mask and a visor and gloves and there are strict protocols about putting down a camera battery and, and and wiping it and then picking it up. And if, if you're breaking the, the bubble, but obviously you won't break the two meter rule. So you have to place the camera. If if you're not in the bubble, you have to place the camera battery down somewhere and then someone else comes and picks it up because we're not a big production that can afford everyone to be in. Uh, but the other great thing about I am, and I think that's almost the, could be the future for, for drama during COVID is, is we're not doing a lockdown drama. We're doing a traditional drama, but we film drama in a kind of guerrilla style. It's pretty much available lighting. It's a skeleton crew anyway. Dialogue is semi-improvised. And when you shoot with available light and work like that, you can work very quickly and shoot quite a lot of stuff. But it's a very intimate filming setting. In I Am, there's very few characters. There's very few locations. it's a real character study and so in a way we're weirdly set up for COVID in that we're so stripped back we're already stripped back and now I've seen all these articles about you know should we strip back some of these huge hundred people crews and well we're already doing it and I think you can get high quality award-winning drama that way it's shot in a very verite style and it's you know, it's, it's authorship and it's it's great filmmaking. Dominic, he's one of, I think, our Britain's finest filmmakers and the relationship he has with actors is extraordinary. So I think, you know, we're lucky that we're shooting in this way and, you know, let's see how it goes. But hopefully it could be a good blueprint for going forward. And because the other thing that's really good, because they're individual episodes, if we're shut down, It's a single film, essentially. So you're making a series of single films. If you're doing a big series and you get to episode three of eight, sometimes, and if it's a series arc, you can't put it out. If we get shut down after two, you know, if Channel 4 wanted to, they could put two uh, episodes out. And also it kind of minimises the risk for them, because obviously they are backing the show whilst no insurer in the world will insure against COVID at the moment. And that is the biggest issue. So what we've done as BAFTA, we've got an in-house fundraising team and we dedicated our team, fundraising team, for a certain uh, amount of time to work with and for the film and TV charities COVID-19 emergency response. So that's one of the ways we worked with them and they're obviously doing brilliant work. And since lockdown's begun, we've, we've realised that people feel quite isolated, our members and the industry. And so what we've tried to do is celebrate and connect people globally, keeping industry networks going and creatively inspired. So we've been holding you know, multiple live Q&A events, masterclasses, previews, online networking sessions in the UK and the US as well as continuing our year-round learning programme, which has also been open to the public. And I think that's one of the things that's been an opportunity with COVID in terms of we've had lots of online events that we've got so many more people engaged and watching, including, interestingly, spoken to a number of disabled filmmakers and and producers and, and actors who say... They felt more connected just because the democracy of being able to be at home and not having to travel in to an event and the accessibility issues. So I think, I think BAFTA pivoted really adroitly and, and deftly to putting its whole programme online. And, and I think what's been great is that the way we've connected with an audience and we've continued to inspire people the other things we we've been doing is you know is supporting the industry is is we've supported the new filming protocols and the codes of practice produced by the British Film Commission through our programme of activity of of, of of events. We've done a BAFTA member wide survey on networking and employability to help us understand you know how we can best address the issues going forward with what people need. And I think networking is, is one of them. Obviously, events of how we produce and make shows during COVID is, is another. And also, obviously, hardship has affected lots of our members and the industry. So we've given our members a three-month payment holiday, and, you know, owing to the u- unprecedented circumstances and the impact it, it's, it's had on people and their income. And also, we're, we're, we're looking at uh, other forms of kind of hardship relief for our members who, who need it most. Uh, and also we've adapted our year round uh, talent support in order to, to to support the next generation. We've kind of pivoted that online as well. We to uh, elevate the, the cohort of actors who we're, we're shining a spotlight on from underrepresented groups this year. We're having masterclasses with people like Shane Meadows uh, and that's all via Zoom and online. So, people are still getting value from us. Uh, I, think, I think, you know, I'm really proud of, of the work we've done, and it's about connecting people uh, and, and shining a light on, on, on great work and inspiring. So, you know, I'm, I'm pleased the way we've responded to the pandemic, and it's also opened up, I think, a new way of communicating. People are like, I, I want more events online, <laughs> you know, more people, you know, so it's not just. 200 people in a room you can have thousands of people and i think i think i think that's a real learning we've had and also the access to talent as long as people have got a good wi-fi connection and a camera people could be connected so there's been lots of q a's with with people who might not have been available to do it because you could be anywhere in the world doing it so I, I think globally it's connected us i think it's 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 crucial that going forwards we think at how we connect with our audiences and and the reach and impact we have is is so much more i mean we did the bafta agm online on zoom because we weren't allowed to be together in a room and i think you know usually there's 50 60 people there or maybe up to 100 but i think we had well over 300 people engaging you know and that's that that's really exciting and it gives people a voice and a chance to participate and keeps us connected so hopefully going forwards we'll we'll build on this
1: so finally we've got the you know the, the delayed BAFTA television awards taking place um you know socially distant we're going to have some studio based sort of announcements and then the winners are going to be online can you tell us a bit about the ceremony and and also just your reaction to you know the year in television that we're celebrating from 2019
3: yeah I think
2: I think we've had a, a brilliant year in in TV Obviously, we're living through the pandemic at the moment, but that, I don't think, should stop us celebrating and reflecting on the extraordinary work um, that happened in 2019. And so we thought it was really important as BAFTA that, that, that we celebrate it, and there still is a show, so it's on BBC One tomorrow, that's Friday at 7pm till 8.30pm, and Richard Iawadi is presenting uh, the TV BAFTAs for the first time. We're, we're thrilled we've got him. He's so funny. He's got such an authored take on the world and his style and delivery, you know, and we've got we've got a number of other presenters in the studio. They are going to be socially distanced, but we've got people like Daisy Ed- Ed- Edgar Jones and Paul Mescal from Normal People. We've got Himish Patel, uh, who was in the film yesterday. We've got people like Greg Davis, uh, Stacey Dooley, Nina Sasania, uh, Adrian Lester. So, you know, it, it's really um, exciting. And we've got some other people who've um, recorded or uh, or on video link presenting as well. David Tennant, Michael Sheen, Ruth Madeley. So I think it's really exciting. We've got a great list of presenters and talent. And Tim Minchin is doing two songs to top and tail the show. Which is, which is really exciting. He's an extraordinary talent. Uh, and also Idris Elba has received the special BAFTA award this year. Obviously, Idris is a, a brilliant actor, and he's known for iconic roles in The Wire and Luther, uh, amongst many others, but he's a producer, director, writer. And also, he's got a production company that has encouraged and nurtured lots of new and diverse talent. Uh, and and BAFTA is is rewarding him for his his work and excellence in in television, but also for his his work in the industry as well of being a leader in creative diversity. So it's 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 for both. It's not just his his brilliant acting, which obviously everyone knows him for. So we're just you know really excited that he's receiving the special award at the uh, at the tv ceremony and also we have at six o'clock an hour before the bbc one show tom allen is presenting a kind of backstage show as it were a virtual backstage show on the baptist social media channels so please log in there's some of the nominees other special guests interviews so at six o'clock you should tune in on the BAFTA social media channels before switching over to BBC One. I think it's going to be a great show and a great celebration.
0: Krishnendu Majunda from Me & You Productions and BAFTA. Newtopia founder and CEO Jane Root has managed to get ambitious commissions and several new hires away during lockdown, including new HBO Max series A World of Calm, based on the popular relaxation app. She spoke with Clive Whittingham about this and how other big-budget factual shows like Newtopia's One Strange Rock for National Geographic will be produced despite international travel restrictions and social distancing rules. While embracing remote working at her production company, she also outlines her fears that a generation of new talent could be lost to the industry with fewer opportunities to get a foot in the door just as the Black Lives Matter movement has shown how important this is for TV.
4: Well, the show is called A World of Calm and it's Short films that are designed to get you into a relaxing, contemplative moment in your day and take you out of the kind of craziness that we're all living through. And the the stories are read by an amazing cast of celebrities, Nicole Kidman, Keanu Reeves, Idris Elba. I could go on. Great list of people who are reading those stories. The show is done in partnership with Calm, which is a really wonderful app that I'm sure some listeners uh, have heard about, which does... Sleep stories, which are actually stories designed to send you to sleep. They do music. And it's all about finding a moment of calm in your day. Their kind of slogan is just is take a breath. And we, we started working with them about nine months ago before uh, the world was like this but we have transformed the show in the last few months. It's, it's interesting, it's funny that the, the sizzle tape that we made with them start, used to start off with all these images of people crossing New York streets and kind of crazy busyness. The last people we showed this sizzle to, we actually took those out because I said that, to me, they felt like aspirational moments. God, I'd really love to stand on a crowded New York. <laughs> crossroads with a ton of people rather than feeling stress inducing they just felt like pure pleasure so now the stress is in a different form, but it's still about, the still the same idea that these short films can help you look at the world in a new
3: way. It's a very apt and timely idea, as it turned out, but it was an idea that you'd had and was starting to develop and pitch before lockdown.
4: Oh yeah, we pitched it last summer and it felt a little crazy. It felt like, hey, go out and pitch these ideas of trying to get people to, you know, things that are so relaxing that you might even fall asleep to. Feels like a very counterintuitive thing to send to sell to television networks in fact we had three offers after a day's LA state style pitching and if we'd have carried on pitching we would have got more I think so we every people were really really excited about the idea which was great
3: and have you been producing it during lockdown conditions I mean it sounds like quite uh, an idea that would work in that
4: the idea of calm was that we were going to send film crews all over the world in the way that we do with shows like one strange rock with Will Smith and that that would be that we were planning on sending people to the Amazon, sending people to Japan. And when lockdown started, everyone was like, we can't make that. And we transitioned to shows where we have directly talked to the DOPs in different countries, sometimes with footage that they've already shot over a period of years, some things they've gone out and shot specially for us. Yeah, so we went from one mode of production to a completely different one, which was really interesting, not at all what we were expecting.
3: How has it been working? with uh, HBO Max are obviously a reasonably new player on the on the scene anything particularly different or uh, compared to to the other broadcasters and streamers you've worked with
4: well the one overwhelmingly different and lovely thing about HBO Max is that the entire management team at Newtopia is women there's me Nicola Moody Susanna Brawsford and Fiona Cordwell and the entire management team at HBO is women so it's kind of really fascinating you don't very often get into a situation where there is eight people on a call talking about a show, and it's all girls. So that, to me, has been a kind of sign of the times. Interesting thing. The other big thing is that the team has never the team has never met. It's that the second show that we have done with people who have never physically been in the same room with as each other. So that's a pretty new thing.
3: Yeah. Do you think that could become a bit like? I mean, I hate the phrase because everybody's saying it, but like new normal or certainly Absolutely. normal for the next few months at least.
4: Absolutely. We've hired senior people within the company within that time who haven't met other people physically we've made a, a six hour show for the History Channel and no people on that team ever met each other specifically for this show so yeah and and you know it's weird, but it works. You can do it. We've also pitched a number of shows during that time uh, and sold them without ever being in the same room as the people we were pitching to, which again, you'd think was impossible. Just goes to show what you can achieve.
3: How are you finding that? I mean, it's it's needs must at the moment, but you know, we hear about it's a people business and FaceTime and things like that. I mean, it's good that the technology exists, that you can get shows away in this, but it's not. It can't be ideal. I mean, it sounds like you're, you're making the best of it, but how, how are you finding that?
4: It's interesting. I mean, we did a huge survey. 180 people at Newtopia did a survey, which was, you know, proper survey. It took you about 30 minutes plus to fill in about how they felt about how they were working and how they felt about working remotely and whether they wanted to continue working remotely. And about 80% of people said that they would like to... They, they didn't want to come back working five days a week. I think what most people would like is... Is to be able to come into the office a couple of days a week, but mainly for discussions and to meet people, maybe not even in the office. There's been a lot of people meeting each other, social distancing in people's gardens and stuff like that. We've been doing a lot of that, some outdoor cafe meetings. We had a big meeting the other week, which was just in somebody's garden. And I think there's, we're a kind of a creative industry where people are adaptable and they find ways of making it work. You know, it's a bit like, look, it's about how the world changes like if 15 years ago you would said that like most young people would meet their life partners through an app <laughs> you'd have thought it was insane and something out of a science fiction movie and now that's how it happens you know that that's what people do people adapt and change I think there are some things that are gone forever I think a culture of presenteeism you know like you're not uh, you're not working unless you're sitting in a in a room six inches from somebody else maybe both of you with your headphones on and your laptops on and that's you have to do that to do your job and you also have to spend perhaps an hour each way commuting from where you live in order to do that I don't think that's ever going to happen there's been an interesting thing of lots of women in the cult company you know this has obviously been an extreme challenge in terms of childcare. but there really is a sense that lots of people it, it is easier to look after kids especially when they're going back to school if, if you're not spending that much time commuting you know and you can be more flexible with how you work so we're kind of I don't know I'm an optimistic person and we're, we're plowing ahead you know we're planning really difficult shows that we're going to shoot across the world in a few weeks time we're sending 15 people off from the company to quarantine in Australia for two weeks government quarantine to make a show there they'll be there some of them might be there for three months you know but you do it we specialize in doing really difficult things at Utopia so
3: that's I I was going to ask that one of the questions I've been asking producers when you're pitching in future are you going to be ready I mean obviously you're not uh, are you going to be reticent about pitching a project that involves a lot of international travel because you know issues like in insurance and things like that I mean how how do you justify and get the insurance for like you say a three-month shoot in Australia? It's
4: it's difficult you know it involves it means that probably what's going to be harder to do is cheap shows with loads of international travel but expensive premium shows with international travel absolutely you know there's ways of doing it there's distance filming we've always had really great relationships with a lot of local crews across the world but I think those relationships feel like they're an underpinning to do doing things you know doing things in a really different way I mean what I'm talking about calm we switched from a, an assumption where we that we would send crews to working d- in working virtually with those crews and it's turned out great it's turned out fine
3: can you give us an idea of some of the other issue I mean I mentioned insurance there and you've mentioned that you're going to have to quarantine before you start filming in Australia but what are the other issue there must be a, a myriad of problems some that you never even considered
4: loads and loads of issues about how you know what do you do if someone gets sick on a a show. It's like a a Broadway show. You have to have an understudy for everybody. You know, how do you do that? How do you plan? How do you plan to evacuate people? How do you plan to make it work in that very simple way? But we kind of feel like we're just coming across one problem after another and just solving them. I mean, we're about to, we're about to, we're going to be filming in Australia. We're also going to be filming in Iceland in the next few weeks. You know, you can do it. There are places in the world. It does take the application of money. (laughs) That's the, unfortunately, that's the hollywood way isn't it you can do what you want if you just pay for it
3: that is gonna is that gonna be an issue given that we hear about ad market going away and you know channel four in, in the uk have been very vocal about how much money they're shortfall at the same time as having 800 hours of content to find i, I a broadcaster is going to be investing less in programming just at a point where programming costs more to make and how do you square that sir
4: that's a hard one i mean it is going to be I mean, there's going to be less money to invest. Everything's going to cost more. We reckon 20 to 30 percent minimum more for everything just to do the COVID stuff. Just cost more, but. Interestingly, we're in the bit of the market that perhaps these things are going to benefit. You know, non-scripted benefits the fact that it's going to be so hard to make movies and so hard to make really expensive scripted shows. Non-scripted is always the kind of they're always the little engine that could, isn't it? Non-scripted they're the people who can come in and make things happen when other things can't can't be done. So I think there's a real sense about that. I mean, if you think that the that reality TV got its start during the writer's strike, right? 15 years ago, you know, 20, was it 15? Was it 20? Something like that. That's when Hollywood understood that non-scripted could be a part of their major schedules. And I think you're going to see exactly that happen again, because while it is possible, absolutely, to make a really premium, ambitious, non-scripted show, uh, it's really, really hard to do something with 300 extras and a crew of, you know, 200. They're really hard. You know, Although there are shows being made like that in the world. Avatars being made in New Zealand, Jurassic Park, Park is being made in London. People are making shows.
3: So, yeah, we've had it. We've had this discussion about whether it is unscripted moments, and like you say, reality TV grew out of the writers' strike. You obviously do think that unscripted could have that moment. What what sort of corner of the genre will? will broadcasters go for this time? Will it be cheap reality again or will it be documentaries? We've seen Sky documentaries launch recently and they do very well for the streamers. What sort of unscripted is going to have a good time?
4: I think you're seeing it across the board, actually. We're both selling some cheaper kind of Fun, more kind of popular factual kind of fun things happening. We're also doing really big, expensive specialist factual things, and we're making documentaries, I think, all of them. I mean, the thing about non-scripted is it's adaptable. It's driven by emotion and storytelling. And those emotions and storytelling can happen in lots of different ways. So you can... You can tell an amazing story with somebody being interviewed on Zoom, and if sometimes those things make things more real. You know, when I was at Discovery Channel and we made Werner Herzog's first sort of new era documentary, Grizzly Man, the center point of that was him listening to a a tape with the sound turned down. (laughs) You know, like know, that you couldn't hear what he was hearing. And that was an astonishing moment. Anyone who's seen it never forgets. But that's, that's not conventional TV. Could you have made that with him look, watching it on a, on a Zoom? Absolutely. I mean, but also it's about being inventive. I mean, we, this series that we just made for the History Channel, America, Our Defining Hours, we worked with a company called Hayden 5 in the US who had this amazing, incredible system where they would turn up at the doorstep of the interviewee with a trolley, which was loaded with lighting, sound equipment and a laptop through which the interviewer could communicate with the interviewee from London. These were all across America. And we got 26 absolutely outstanding premium interviews which will look like they were shot by a really efficient in-person crew. And the only thing that was hard with that was if they had too many steps going up to the front door.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean that is that is the thing, isn't it? There's the um it, because we're all doing these Zoom calls every day you and I are sitting on a zoom call now to to do this i did wonder whether the audience tolerance would be there if their television started to look like this as well you know just slightly lower production values but it sounds like you've been able to to get around that in sort of creative ways like that this
4: this this stuff we did for history channel looked exactly the same as anything else it had really really you know great depth of focus great detail it wasn't zoom my kind of feeling is a bit that people are kind of over zoom quality unless it's got like if you're interviewing someone on death row who's about to be executed maybe you can kind of live with it, but like, you don't want it for, where you can achieve better, you should achieve better. I think the interesting thing is that our interviewees have got used to remote filming. It used to all be about kind of, you've got to be there in the room and you've got to have eye contact and you've got to, you only get a really good performance from somebody if you're right there. But we've all got used to the idea that we communicate with our grandparents and our kids and over Zoom. So people are very, very relaxed. People That was something that all, that the team doing history were really found remarkable
3: you obviously um run channels in the past to, to great success and your, your, your hits are, are well known which side of the desk would you rather be on at this point would you want to would you rather be running a channel or a production company through uh, through all of this
4: production company I'm kind of production company I I ran a production company for 10 years before I became a broadcaster and when I came back to it you know some ways it's harder but it also it's my kind of first love and I for me the flexibility of it, the fact that you can have an idea and just do it, and the fact that you can work for lots of different people. Well, that's wonderful. I constantly find that energising and exciting.
3: If you were on the broadcast side of the desk still at this point, how... It's difficult to say because obviously all channels are different but you know know, you're at BBC2 for instance and that's financially challenged we've mentioned Channel 4 US Cable was financially challenged anyway if you were a broadcaster now what would your strategy be looking into 2021 not knowing if there's going to be a second wave of this and not knowing if you're going to be able to commission dramas and things like that what what would your strategy be?
4: It would be to be brave but then that was always my strategy possibly my downfall (laughs) you know you just got to be brave you've got to say what can you possibly do? I mean, if I was Channel 4, I'd be looking at running, you know, they are running some old old shows, but I'd be much more leaning into that. And I'd be running, I'd be looking for what are the incredible outtakes that you can find and remake shows, all the skills of archive, how can you make that completely different? How can you do things that people aren't expecting? And I think audiences want challenge and surprise. I mean, when I was at BBC Two, we had ridiculous amounts of success, actually kind of got me into trouble a bit with with like doing Britain's Best Sitcom, you know, and getting people to talk about their ultimate favourite sitcom and then asking people to search for lost episodes of Dad's Army. That was an amazing thing. You know, you have to lean into the situation that you're in and say, what is the most exciting thing that we could possibly do here now, rather than just carry on as normal? That's not helpful. People know it's not normal, you know, so if you're not careful, you can end up being like, you know, the British Empire, you know, you, you're going to pretend the world's not changed around around you and just soldier on cuz you know the british flag will fly and <laughs> and that didn't work out well
3: you know? <laughs> Over the summer, we've been speaking to producers and initially there was this idea that it would be like turning a tap on and off, like we'll be off for six months and then it'll all come back and we can just do development for six months and then we'll be producing in the autumn. That doesn't see that's not going to be the case, is it? This this thing isn't going away. How are you planning and looking forward at Newtopia into, into 2021?
4: I think the weekend that people were saying they're just going to turn the tap off was the weekend that we rang up the History Channel and said, how about making six hours on uh, crisis, in historical leadership and how how people have responded and what could people learn from Look, what could people learn from uh how Washington and Lincoln responded to prices so we took the other we took the other response we're we're selling a lot of shows right now you know that's the really surprising thing we're actually I feel kind of guilty about it slightly we're doing really well I mean the funny thing for us is that we're we're, we're in hiring mode I've just come off a staffing call where we're like bring that person and find out when they're available ring that person if they can see what they're doing we're also because it's a bit of a downturn for the industry as a whole we're getting amazing people available you know one of our hard things at utopia is always finding the caliber of people we need to make the kind of ambitious shows we make so that one's a bit easier right now so we're kind of feeling good about that and that
3: market that market for that level of ambition show because i mean they're not they're not cheap to make and the a-list talent is is not cheap to get do you see that market holding up through this
4: all i can say is that when we approach people like nicole and keanu to do calm they were very very bored You know, uh, they were kind of really wanted to do it. We 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 cast that show. You know, there's ten incredible people, and we cast it very fast with amazing people. We had a wish list, and pretty much everyone on our wish list said yes. That was because people aren't making movies with the the kind of people that we work with. Often, the hardest thing is just their diaries. You know, you're working. You know, we're working with Chris Hemsworth and Will Smith, and often their thing is that they're saying to us, "Guys, you know, I'm making three movies next." Year. i want to spend some time with my family i want to have some time to myself and you you know your show your show sounds amazing i just physically can't do it and that's not the case right now people have time so is the
3: is the money there from the broadcasters though, or is that where the streamers come in we're
4: mainly our biggest customers are streamers we, we we pivoted we started utopia wanting to make really really ambitious things and streaming came online within a couple of years of us, us happening us uh, we were kind of made for each other so a lot of our biggest relationships are the streamers right now.
3: You talk about things that aren't going to come back in the same way obviously the television event circuit um, is, is a major part of the industry it's often where you can meet a new contact or, or get a foot in the door at a new broadcaster we obviously can't go around the world at the moment at all do you think when we can we're all going to be jumping back on a plane to the same extent we were before I mean obviously big events like MIPCOM will probably survive but you could basically be at a television event. Every week at one stage, do you think that event circuit will come back in the same way?
4: I don't know, I really don't know. That thing of it's kind of hard to imagine that. Really, kind of maybe people will maybe if there's a vaccine and the vaccine works and people start to feel confident, the idea of being crammed with 600 people in the basement of Real Screen will feel attractive. I don't know, I really don't know, but I did want to talk about one other thing that worries me that is going away. I'm, I'm being sort of supremely optimistic here but I think I am worried about something which is I think that Black Lives Matter has really shone an important spotlight on how we can be a not very inclusive industry how we can be an inward looking industry and we can depend on who we know and getting in can be really damn hard you know I still remember the struggle that I had to kind of get into TV it felt like I don't come from a kind of world where people did jobs like that I thought that I might get to work for a local newspaper I wanted to be a journalist but I didn't expect someone like me would ever get to work for TV and now I, I fear that the drawbridge might be coming up behind us and I think that it's much easier if you're going to create teams who've never met each other it's much easier for them to be people that you've worked with in the past and that sort of webs of personal relationships and also the kind of soft mentoring of which we used to do a ton of in the Newtopia offices you know we were really proud of the fact that we just promoted people internally a lot and it would all be that culture of oh just come in this edit suite and listen or you know we're going to pitch a show in LA you might never have been to LA why don't you just come along and be there in the room and understand what it feels like those opportunities we're going to have to make much more concrete and planned and kind of like they're not just going to happen in the way that as long as you've got your foot inside the door they used to happen and so I I think television will survive but what I would hate is if it felt like we went back 20 years and it's all friends of friends who get the jobs yeah
3: because that is that would be a natural thing to happen while we're in this situation wouldn't it I mean how do you how do you get around that
4: how do you take risks on people you've never met you know a lot and a lot of it is about personality and it is it it's like you know so when we hired people we hire. Matt Edmonds, uh, who'd been working with Sasha Baron Cohen, to come and do a big new division for us. And that just got in under the wire. we we just met him. I'd met him a couple of times. A few other senior people have met him. And, but then, he, and then he, he agreed to come and work for us. But he didn't actually come and work for us until after lockdown. So he's never met lots of senior people. And he was under the wire, but what's going to happen to the next person like that? That's kind of more challenging. Uh, I'm, I'm making a big effort to really do Zoom calls with people and kind of just kind of things that you wouldn't actually have planned before you kind of have to plan now. You know, we were lucky because we were like working with a lot of American streamers before. And also because we were a global company. I was here, then Kirby was in LA. We were making shows across the world. We were already used to communicating virtually a lot and doing a lot of those things. We had the underpinnings and anything that we can do to help with advice or anything else for anybody else, I'd love to help with that.
0: Jane Root from newto That's all for this episode, there'll be more from the podcast next week, but in the meantime stay safe and stay up to date with all the latest developments by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. Thanks for listening.